and welcome back to the What The Folk Sunderland Review Show. It is another away day, another weekend of frustration when we play away. And after two huge results for Dodsey and the boys, we've reverted to type on the road by largely dominating and losing and not scoring. However, it's not actually been the only thing that's happened in Sunderland land uh, this week, which is, I don't think, a turn of a phrase, but it is now. Um, so we've put together basically an extra special two-part episode where we discuss the 1-0 defeat of Bristol City, the apparent appointment of a new boss. Um, who is that person in the photo? We'll probably have a discussion about that as well. Um because it does look more like you sick than anyone else. Just a bit of a spoiler there. Listener questions and all the other stuff that's gone on because it's just been absolutely loads. So we might as well just bash it out in one um, podcast. And because Sunderland Land, Sunderland Land has become, well, a hot topic of discussion, we've invited absolutely everyone on the podcast and everyone wanted to come on. So it's a big show today. Um, in order, I'll go with the returning Lee. Lee. Uh, how are you doing, mate? Are you all right? Well, I was better on Thursday. Mm. Um, obviously, yesterday happened, then the day happened. So I just suddenly been sunning, didn't it? Aye. It's been a while since we've done a bit of a sunland. Ross, uh, how are you doing, mate? You all right? Aye, I'm all right. Living in the same bubble as everyone else, really, just a bit miffed at the past 48 hours, let's be honest. SCSCPR disaster in full overload. Do you ever just feel like, like, look, I hate saying this, and I'm, I loathe the fact that I'm saying it on a podcast. It's just a game. But sometimes I sit there, I'm like, why am I obsessing over this stupid football club? I could just, I don't know, do something else. I think we're a social experiment to see how much you can push fans to the absolute edge without people just like giving up and just walking away because, let's be honest, we make it hard for ourselves. We really do. I've been on a full health kick, going for a nice 45-minute run, give or take, 40-minute run in the morning, eating healthy. And before this podcast, I've poured a really healthy whiskey because I've, I've had to. I was just like, I'm going to need to do this. Um, don't know if anyone's noticed, but I've completely imploded on the Twitter account. I've absolutely lost my shit, and I just need to get off Twitter. So I suppose this is a good thing that I'm on here to rant. But um, Dave, you've also joined us. Dave, how are you? Very much on mute, hence the reason for the pause. Um, yeah, yeah, same as everyone else. Absolutely. I wanted to start me rant positively there, but it's mm. just, oh, yeah, another away day, another defeat. Oh, yeah, and not quite a tactical masterclass from, uh, from Dodsey the deer. And, yeah. If you ever want to see what the world of Sunland is like, listen to the Leeds Review podcast and directly go into this one and think, how many days has there been between? Has it been one year, two years, three years? No, 48 hours. Um, Brad, you've joined at the perfect time, full house. It's took us six minutes or something just to get through the introductions. Like The listeners are not going to be happy, but at least we're not being negative, lads. Eh? Brad, how are you doing? Are you okay? No, I'm feeling shite. <laughs> um, no, I'm all right, mate. Just had a quite a long drive back down to work. Um, so I'm glad I can jump on. And I think I've made my debut for this season following a defeat. No. So no. it's a strange one. I think you've done no. a couple. I think you've done Well, they're quite rare, aren't they? They're quite rare. So, yeah, looking forward to diving into it and talking all things Sunland. It's never dull, is it? The defeat's just like... 
not even the thing we're going to get more most angry about, which tells you everything about something. But we've done the introductions. We're there. We've done it. Brilliant. I'm not going to be able to go around everyone and ask every question because then it'll be a four-hour podcast. And look, I rate the podcast. Don't think anyone rates it that highly. Um, I'll come to you first, Ross. It's going to feel like Groundhog Day. We're going to be asking the same questions here. Strikers are going to get mentioned, but we did lose one at Bristol City despite largely dominating the game. Um, how are you feeling about getting beat off Bristol City? I'm at the point now where I'm like, meh. I don't even get angry anymore because it's the same script every weekend away from home. We'll, we'll have a daft 10 minutes where we'll fall a bit, we'll concede a shit goal. And then we bat our teams. Every keeper has their game of the season. Every keeper has a game of the season against us. Pull off saves that, let's be honest, championship keeper has night names out of 10. Don't save. And you could have, we when the first save was made in about sixty minutes, we could have, we could have, we could have all just went right. That's it, pack it in. Let's, let's just go home. There's no point. And in fairness, you know I said it in the group chat. Dodds tactically was fantastic at home this week, but sacrificing Jack Clark on his favorite position to put Abdullah Bar up front, along with Pritchard away from home, was fucking mental. Um, and I know there's a lot of stuff about the strikers that we are going to get mentioned, but we didn't score today because because of the strikers went we were rubbish. The strikers got out six minutes, and it was one of them. Bradley Dak got more time than them, so I don't think, even think that's on the strikers today. It was just on setup and, in fairness, a, a good goalkeeper. Thing is, if you listen to this podcast as well, and you listen to the preview show during the week, the guy was like, "Oh, we're not that weak in that many positions." Dave was like, "But we're really weak at right back." So I hope Jack Clark's not on the left. And I'm like, "Brilliant, Jack Clark on the left." And he was not. <laughs> he kind of, sort of weirdly went up front, and then Bar was doing his thing, and oh, I don't know. I like, I, I, I thought you know what? Um, just really quickly, I thought Dodgy summed it up really well. Um, I was actually really impressed by his post-match chat afterwards. It was a bit refreshing because I was getting a, a bit bored of Tony Mowbray. God bless Tony, RIP. Because um, I did like Tony Mowbray, but it was kind of like a five-minute chat and you were like, no, it's not bother. But um, I, I'm not going to rant too much. I'll chuck this one uh, at you, Lee. Same question. Um, one little defeat on the road, haven't scored on the road and games and games and games have dominated again. Um I guess I know what the answer is going to be, but because you're relatively new to the podcast, maybe we'll say something slightly different. So I'll ask you, how do you feel about getting beat 1-0 off Bristol City? Well, as everybody else is saying on the socials, I'll fart no shite, wouldn't it? Just, um, are you saying, I don't understand the whole team selection sacrificing Jack Clark, who's arguably your best player and playing him down the middle, and starting Abdullah Bar, who didn't deserve to start in the first place, never mind in Jack Clark's favourite position. As I said, it's just this copy and paste of every away game that we've had practically this season other than one or two. Just like concede a stupid goal and we kind of break teams down. Ah, their keepers had made two or three good saves, but the quality we have, we should be putting teams like Bristol City away. And if you want to get out of this division, you've got to put teams like Bristol City away. You've got to find ways to win. And we're not away from home at the moment. And it's incredibly worrying. I can't even remember our last one away from home. I know the last time we scored was Stoke, I think. Jack Clark. Oh, Jesus. I wasn't even thinking about Christmas then. Um, Dave, uh, I've asked ask everyone this question like a few times and 
we normally pick out one player that impressed you. Like, feel free if you want to pick a player that's impressed you, Dave. But um, because we lost today, it might be a bit more. You might want to pick out a player that actually annoyed you a bit. So you can either pick out one player for either reason. And if you pick out this player, the next person can't choose that player for either reason. But um, who impressed you or annoyed you today? Which player are you picking out for um, special praise or, or, spe or special criticism? Um, Bristol City's goalkeeper, Max O'Leary. He was all right, wasn't he? He made a couple of saves, to be fair to him, but I, I'm not sure we... Uh, we made the most of our half-assed attempts to score. Um, oh, I think we had a we had a bit of a chat, didn't we, in the in the group chat? And oh nine frustrated the fuck out of me because when he hasn't got time to think, he's actually quite good. When he's got time to think, Jesus, like he does, he's done this thing the last two games. We almost conceded from it against Leeds as well, where he like stands on the ball. And nobody's gonna go and close them down. And then he does something really stupid. And I'm just like, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? Um like we tried I think we tried to be too clever today. Like does he free Hume at left back? I'm I'm just oh man. Can I ask just, you a question, Dave? Like I we're going to get into the manager stuff and that, right? That part two is manager stuff and tickets for the um them lot. And I'm not saying their name. Um, do you think if the past 48 hours hadn't happened, this result would have been less frustrating? Or is this result more frustrating on its own, despite all of that stuff? Because it's like Plymouth away, Stoke away, all these games where we've just like pissed chances up the wall and missed and like, being frustrated because ultimately it doesn't matter how good you are on the stats, we've got beat again. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Like, uh, both sides of the coin, isn't it? I, I think frustrating just away from home in general is is the word to use. It's the buzzword kicking about. Extra frustrating and infuriating at the same time because of the last 48 hours. Um, isn't it amazing how a... How karma, if that's if that's the right word, it's not the right word, but how the feeling of a football club kind of it goes alongside results and stuff like that. Look at Everton. Everton have kind of gone through a bit of a a rough ride with a ten point deduction, and Sean Dice is the perfect man, isn't he? He's the perfect man to stand there and go. I tell you what, we can either whinge about this, we can cry, we can feel really hard done by or we can get together and we can fight and we can like and four games four wins four clean sheets don't suppose Sean Dice is available is he well he was when Dick Advocate was available but we went with Dick Advocate and I mean that's a different podcast isn't it um, lovely brunch of flowers though really deserved that um, fair enough I like we Dick I like we Dick Um that's not how it meant to come out. Um, Brad, I'll, I'll make the same question at you, mate. I think there's players that... I don't want to dig the players out because I think they've had two really good performances, but like there was some poor performances today. So I think if I'm asking you to pick out one player, I get the feeling that you might pick out someone that's frustrated you more. I'm surprised no one's mentioned Bar yet fully. Um, 
but I have a feeling you might pick someone else. But Brad, I'll, I'll I'll fire this to you. You can pick someone that's impressed you if you want. Like that's completely fine. But like, what was the one player you'd pick out today for positive or negative reasons? Um, negative reason really. And I, I put in the group chat the other week. I, I I think people hold him in too high expectation, and that would be Anthony Patterson. That's been coming. I, I think his distribution is not the best anyway. And there's sometimes he, when we are playing short, look, that ball's just got to go long. And, <clears throat> excuse me, because even if it goes into Dan Neal's feet, he's got players left and right of him. And at very worst, it's probably going to come straight back at him and it's got to go long anyway. So I think Patterson's frustrating me at the minute. Look, I know he got a clean sheet the other night and he pulls off some unbelievable saves now and again. But there's sometimes when the ball's at feet, he terrifies the life out of me. And I'm not 100% confident in him with the ball at feet. Look, he will get better at that. And a goalkeeper is ultimately there to be saving goals. And he does a lot of that. But there's sometimes his commanding of the box isn't the best. I think he's a little bit timid when the ball's coming in. And yeah, ultimately, his mistake today has cost us. Because I, I do believe going in at nil-nil at half time because of that 10-15 minute spell where we were honking. We call second half and we win that 2-3-0. Um, I know we camped in their box second half, but that's that, that, that it's probably camped in their half all second half. But that's just because they had a lead to hold on to, and that ultimately goes back to that horrific couple of seconds of Patterson. Um, but I will put a negative, a positive on. I think when Job came on, we looked a lot better. I can't understand him not starting because when you when you talk about strikers not scoring for me, and if you listen to his brother, he is a striker. And I know he says he likes to play box-to-box. Luke O'Neill said that for years. His favourite position was playing box-to-box and ultimately now became a right-back centre-half where we all see him as a better player. So with Job, he's scoring goals. He gets in the right places at the right times. He's a striker and I'd put him there because he's scoring goals as well. Um, look, he's had a header today. That's been a good save. Um and he's getting in the right areas for me. I'd play him as a striker because we we he's probably had more chances in these three games to score goals and ultimately has scored two, won them albeit disallowed, than the rest of the strikers combined all season. And that's because he's getting in the right areas. So for me, when when you've got a lad who's there who looks like he's going to be scoring goals, play him there. Because he's been outstanding there for me. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I was going to bring up the, the job conversation. And look, I think um, I might be less harsh because I don't know why Dodds took him out. What I would know is that if Mike Dodds has taken him out, it's for what he sees to be a good reason. So maybe he just thinks he needs a bit of a rest. Um, but it was a strange time to take him out considering the last two performances he's had because, like, I I agree. Look, I think as a striker, that's his best position. I like that Dodds, he didn't want to pigeonhole him during the week. And I agree with that. I think it was totally the right thing to say. to be like, look, this boy can play anywhere. But, like, at the minute, He's the best striker we've got. Like he lays it off, he holds the ball, he runs the channels, and he gets in the right areas. The rest of them don't. And and I know not all of them get the chance, but the chances we've seen, like outside of maybe Rusin and a little bit of rawness from my end, I don't I don't see them offering as much as Joe. But at the moment, the might in time, you've got to kind of hope they do in time, because you know, I think the four strikers we've got, I do think we've been a bit hamstrung by the fact that they're all young and well, not well. Rusin's not his twenty-five, but like the young or unexperienced in this league, and I think they've been put into a side where the fans are going to expect goals naturally. And 
I don't know. There's that mix, isn't it? I don't think there's a the, the two aren't meeting in the middle where what we need and what they are at the minute don't meet in the middle, and that that kind of goes towards someone that we're probably going to discuss a lot later, which is the person in charge of the recruitment, which is a combination of a few people. But like, I'm going too deep. Um, Russell, I'll come to you with this one. Uh, I feel like I've constantly asked this, honestly. Like it's, but it was a today was a carbon copy of a Tony Mowbray towards the end sort of display. Like if that was a Tony Mowbray performance, like, and he hadn't been sacked, you wouldn't have been shocked. Which is a bit worrying that it's not Tony Mowbray. Um, and it was Mike Dodds today. There's going to be someone new in charge, uh, which we're going to discuss a bit later by the looks of who it's going to be. But um, how worried are you that the season's going to play out like this? That we're going to just have a couple of decent results here and there? but not win enough away from home and look toothless and bang our heads against a wall? Um, it'll be like that until somebody's brave enough to change the system. And I feel like when we play this system, it helps none of our strikers when they're actually played. And that it, it, it just hamstrings us away from home because it's so easy to basically let, let them have the ball around their area. We'll press them high, and if they flip it, then they've got no one in the middle, apart from those that are wide. So, yeah, I think it's whoever comes in has got to be brave away from home to make these changes. At home, we're getting results. Some by the tactical changes, like the Southampton game, the Leeds game, where we can prove and play on the counter, or like the West Brom game, where we were a bit more direct in the way we approached it. But away from home, we, we, we've got to find a way of getting someone in a more focal area in the middle of the pitch and just taking our chances, you know, it's as simple as that really. I know it's easier to say, but all the XG again was there today. All of the expected like all of the possession, all of the chances created, all of the penalties we should have also had, which I've got to mention because that one on Job at the end, belating pull. And the one on Ballard, so there's two, if we're being honest. I know that doesn't help things really in the long run, but the point keeps the momentum going, you know, a bit of an unbeaten run. So, yeah, I just feel like, you know, whoever... And the strikers have got to be given more than 10 minutes. Like, <laughs> I know other than Burstow and Russ, like, no one's been given a full 90 at all. Other than Burstow, who's not even our own player. Like, yeah. when I seen Russian at home, I know again we're going back at home, and I thought he was a lucky away at Swansea. Should have scored maybe, but he was still creating chances and part of our best spell when it was eleven v eleven. Um, at home he's looked good. He was so close to scoring against Norwich. He got that injury, and since then he's like he hasn't even been getting off the bench. Like, it, it's mad, especially when you consider how many chances Burst always had. I know it's I see like I'm slating the kid, but considering he came from Chelsea, he showed absolutely nothing. And for, like them two aren't even getting off the bench. My end, Bradley Dak came on ahead of my ender. Like, what the fuck? Bradley Dak showed nothing. Bradley oh. Dak came on as a deep lying midfielder. <laughs> he was our deepest player. <laughs> I don't understand that. And that was just his arse. <laughs> I think uh, for me, like, I would send Burstow back. And I think, you know, you look at him here. I just think he's too raw. But the one thing I'd say with Hamir is 
he hasn't scored them, but there's been a couple of times this season where he's got in the right positions to have a chance, which is like literally I'm scraping the barrel for positives here from strikers. But at the same time, they haven't really been given a chance. I do agree with that. Um, talking of goals, Lee, I, th- I think I'm pretty certain this is no goal away goal in four games. I think I think I'm sure the last goal we scored was Stoke, and the last win was Chef Wed, which was a long time ago. I know you probably don't know the answer to this because if you do, you're going to get the manager's job at Sunderland. And to be honest, I probably prefer you to the guy that's been rumoured. But um, we don't seem to have a problem scoring at home. So what's the problem away from home? Like, what what do you think it is? As I have the old cliche where the fans can suck the ball in the back of the net. Where if you go and play at home and you've got 40-odd thousand people there gunning you to score a goal compared to two, 3,000 away from home, does it become harder? And do you try harder when you're at home when you've got all that back and behind you than you do away from home? And after the Sunderland fans go in the, the droves and they get behind the team. But it's a lot different having two, 3,000 in the corner than 40,000 around you, if that makes sense. And I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I just don't get it. Like, we can play at home perfectly fine. Like, Clark and Roberts can get down the byline, bring the ball back, no fault of a Sunderland player. Or, like, We'll create half chances where away from home, our final ball is shocking. Like Jack Clark's crosses today, you would think he was crossing for two Peter Crouches on top of each other than it was like to like Job or Pritchard or anything like that. I'd see it, I just don't get it. I don't I don't understand how. But maybe it's just a case where they try harder at home than they do away from home due to the people that has around them. It's all I can think of, really. Right, we're going to go into some listeners' questions. So um, I feel like there should have been more we got into, but this is a long-ass podcast and there's more we're going to need to get into. So, Leo, I took this one at you. Um, stay with strikers. One's from Hannah. Will we see a striker score this season? Assuming Job's not a striker, if that's what we're saying. One of them, they'll get one eventually. It might be like a tap in from three yards and the point this game, like, somewhere down the line, but they will get one eventually. I hope. Um, I say, and I'm not awfully keen on the person who's meant to be coming in, but it might be fresh ideas, fresh fresh stuff on the training ground. Might or not one of them, but you're seeing the clutching and straws there, but I think one of them will eventually score before the end of the season. And I don't be surprised if it's either Roosan or my end, my end it because they're, they're obviously the two ones are getting on the, like Roosan didn't today, but the more ones that are getting time on the pitch. So I'd say I one of them will eventually score before you end the season. Try to be a bit positive. I'm gonna say no. Um <laughs> just to be different. Uh Ross, I'll throw this one at you because I think you're if anyone um you or Brad are the positive too. So I'll give this to you well, this one to you, Ross. This is from Lord Barold, who we obviously normally include on this. He's happy to get pelters for this. So if he's happy to get them, it's at Lord Barold. <laughs> but uh, considering we don't know all the facts yet about the reason for the appointment, the reason for the derby layout, maybe it's time to take a breath and appreciate we've just taken six out of nine points in a tough week of games without a manager. We're going to go into the other stuff, but is, is that a fair point? Are we just a bit being a bit too reactive? I, I don't think so, personally, but like I'm, I'm open to other ideas. Um, If it was a one-off... On the performance today, yeah, maybe, but it's not. As they've mentioned, it's it's consecutive away games that this has happened now. Um, the mag ticket thing, 
Nah, they can get fucked. Um, and the management thing, well, we'll see. We'll see. The proof will be in the results, won't it? Um, and, that, and that'll be it. But I can understand the frustration. Some have probably maybe went a bit OTT, saying they're never going to come back and all that. I, I think that's a bit over the top. But if these footballers, as bad as Rangers fans say, then they might be proved right. But I, I feel like for the result, if it wasn't same mags tickets, no club can fuck off. Management, we shall see. And I'm um, a positive one. I know, I know, I know. We're going to get into this stuff. It's the second part of this, don't worry. Uh, Dave, I'll give you this next one. Uh, I think it's fair from Matt. What's happened to Equa? <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Um, it just... Uh, decision-making. All I can put it down to is absolutely terrible decision-making. Um a bit of a lack of confidence as well. And that's what you're going to get with young players, unfortunately, especially players who haven't had the experience of, of kind of, <laughs> Oh, I don't know how I meant to not like react to comments on the bottom of the group chat. Um, his, his leg died. Love it. I'm not quite sure. I think it's just a, Confidence crisis. I think it's just overcomplicating the game, and he just needs to get back on it. But uh, that could be said about a few of them, to be fair. I'll chuck the other one I've got here at, at you, Brad, um, because you're eating or were eaten. Question from Leon Do mushy peas belong on a Sunday dinner? No. I, I, I like them with fish and chips. Not on a Sunday dinner. Garden peas all the way. Waffle. Um, but mushy peas with fish and chips. Yeah, I'd, I'd certainly go with that. That wasn't the question, though. Well, not on a Sunday dinner, no. Fucking sort of more one, is he? Yorkshire pudding on a Christmas dinner? Yes. Yorkshire pudding will go on anything. I like that. Yeah, I'm I think I'll have Yorkshire pudding on fish and chips. You know what? I'm going to give you the echo question as well, because... We discussed it in the other week, so because I know people get mad if we start talking about stuff that is football. Um, but what's your thoughts on Equa? I, I think I feel like that's been one I've been dying to bring up for a while. He's been absolutely cack since he come back. I know we were laughing before seeing his legs died. For the record, he had a dead leg. If you forget, and since he's come back, he appears to definitely still have the dead leg. It's simple with Equa. Well, it's not simple. Otherwise, it would be easy to fix. But for me, it's because his first ever senior game was at Sunderland only 25 games ago. He hasn't got the experience of having a dip in form and how he comes back for it. Yes, because when he came to us, the first few games, I mean, I've written off straight away. Sorry, James Copley. Um, but then he sort of picked up in form and was outstanding for, you'd say, 10, 15 games. And he's had his injury and came back. And it's sort of like... It's now down to the coaches and his teammates to rally around him, the more experienced players to rally around him and pull him out of it. Because it's it's not down to just having... You don't just lose your talent. It's I think it's solely down to a confidence thing. If he's making a mistake, he doesn't know how to put it right. And I think it's just... That's what's hindering him ever so slightly. And also, is he worried about 
getting injured again. He's seen it happen where Alicia came back and he's had a long-term injury. Embo came back from an injury, went out on loan, came back. Is it a psychological thing where he's terrified of being injured again? Um, or is he still carrying that injury? It, it could well be that, that that's it as well. But I have no doubt he'll come back and he'll hit the heights of what we know he can hit. But at this moment in time, it just seems like as the team is getting a little bit better now and again, he's not improving. Um, is it worth taking him out for a game or two? But then it's who do you drop in there? I mean, judging on the day, fancies Bradley Dack as a hold midfielder, so we'll chuck him in there, shall we? <laughs> That's a joke, by the way. That's why I'm not the manager. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's because he's a young boy and this is the start of his career. It's not like he's a seasoned pro. He's a young lad and it's he's at the very, very start of his career. And once he comes through it, if he has the dip in the future, I have no doubt he'll bounce back a lot quicker. Right, I've had enough of talking about the match now. Um, so we'll go into part two, which is basically as, um, I think it's the wise men say, lads called it Beal or No Beal, which I'm still laughing about a few days later, but it is a very fair point. So we're going to come back in a minute. We're going to have a 30 second break. Um, hopefully my computer doesn't run out of space, which it did hilariously, which none of you will know of, um, which just tells you how the week has ended compared to how it started. But we're going to come back, talk a little bit about that ticket thing, which you can probably understand some of us are frustrated with based on part one. And then we're going to have a bit of a chat about who we believe the manager is going to be and our thought on it. Catch you soon. Hello and welcome back to part two, which is, um, to be honest with you, something that I kind of wish I wasn't doing because it doesn't feel like the last 40 hours have been great. People are going to hate this. They hate the negative stuff, but like this is stuff that probably has to be discussed. Um, we did an immediate reaction to Tony Mowbray's second at the time. And I think we all, apart from Brad, kind of felt it was maybe the right time. Um, but I suppose one thing we never mentioned on at the time of that podcast was that it was dependent on the man that came in. Now, unless something drastically changes, and I know there was a photo that I posted when everyone thought it was everyone from Yusek all the way to uh, Will Still's brother, unless that's a new man and we're completely caught off guard, it does look like it's going to be Michael Beale. And with the amount of reports that are kicking off and talking about it, I'd be really surprised if it's not. So we're going to discuss that because it needs to be discussed. Um, There's been far too much said about it on the old social media and in the fan base in general. And there's also the discussion surrounding the tickets and how they're going to be distributed for the Newcastle game, which I said I wasn't going to say and I've now accidentally said it. Um, Brad, I'll come to you first. It looks like Michael Beale is going to be the next boss. I've made it quite clear online how I feel about it. How do you feel about it? Uh, just plug my, my, my what I said when you asked me on the Tony Moore re reaction, you said Beal. 
And I think I said no eight times. I just kept saying no, 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 no. Um, I was right. Should have kept Mowbray. If this was the succession plan, and this is where we we're going to end up, should have kept Mowbray at the very least. If the main target isn't available, which clearly Beal wasn't, otherwise it would have been done instantly. So he wasn't the main target. Give it a dodge at the end of the season, and then you reassess it. There's no pressure on him. Clearly the players love him. They, they talk very highly of him. The two games where he was in charge, without really knowing if anyone was coming through the door, we've done well. Um, I, I think the club have dropped a bollock again, which seems to happen quite regularly. Um, like, yesterday was just Freaky Friday, wasn't it? As like I said, how can we have a week where we beat West Brom, we beat Leeds, and still end the week furious at the club? Um, no. And look, I, I know that you say social media is not a barometer for anything, but I am yet to see one person within Sunderland or outside of Sunderland, that's reporter, fans, anyone, who've said this is a good idea, and that this would be a good appointment. The club of... I know that, that... How they run it, they won't look at fans. Look, we, we don't get paid the big bucks. We're not in any way qualified to say what they can say and what they can do. But they've got to look at it really and think, hang on, is this really worth taking this risk? Because honestly, give it three games and we haven't won there will be hell on. There'll be utter backlash. And that's on them. And someone's got to look at them, their, their advisors or something, and say, hang on a second, you, you've got to think again about this. Is, is this really the way you want to go? No. That's that's the long answer. No. I think it's put pressure on the FA Cup game as well, which previously had, outside of it being a derby, was not free hit. Derby's never a free hit, but... If we are to lose that, which on paper, you know, let's be honest, I don't want to say it, but we probably should, um, based on the, the quality between the teams. I now think it's a case of like if he doesn't start well, and then that game we get absolutely annihilated, which I, I really hope isn't going to be the case. He's under a lot of pressure, but like yeah, I feel the same way. Like, look, I live up in Glasgow and I've seen many things with Beale. I've probably seen more of an insight into Michael Beale than a lot of people will have because of the location where I live and the job that I work in. And he's not a well-liked man for a reason. I think you only look back two days ago, there's a big interview with one of his players at Rangers who he basically ostracised and didn't make him feel, should we say, great. And it just doesn't read well. And there's a bunch of things I put on Twitter, like he's the way he was turning up at Rangers games when he was manager of QPR and then allegedly messaging. I mean, it's I'll say allegedly because I don't know if this is the case, but there was rumours going around that he was speaking to the Rangers players afterwards and he turned up at the Rangers game when Bram Broncos under pressure. The idea that he was definitely not going to go to Wolves and actually wasn't even that close. Um, I know some people think it, he was close to Wolves. He wasn't. I believe he didn't even have an interview at Wolves. And yet he came out and did this whole stance. A lot of it feels about him, and I don't really need to go into how I feel about Lee Johnson. This feels like Lee Johnson with not as good looking. <laughs> um, no, no, I, no I, I put a comparison on Grim. For me, I get the exact same vibes as when we saw, when we sacked Jack Ross, we brought in Phil Parkinson. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was a panic. I, for me, I'll keep it short and sweet because I've banged on about it on social media, and like I, I like to ask the questions as opposed to like. Um, be asking myself a little bit too much but I think for me um, 
if the club has a process in place where it's data driven and we're going to go for someone that fits the model of the club and the players that we have there and we have a succession plan in place after every manager which um Speakman kind of indicated he had especially with the Feroli links in the summer when he second Mowbray that that manager should be there instantly and you should know exactly who it is that's coming in if that person isn't the person there should be someone else coming in after that every report and every indication is that Michael Deal wasn't even on that list to begin with and I don't care if he's coming in and interviewed and looked like Jesus Christ if he's not on your list doesn't fit your model I don't think he should be brought in and I desperately hope he proves me wrong because ultimately everyone on this call and everyone on Twitter and everyone that's disagreed or said give him a chance or whatever wants Sunderland AFC to succeed I just think at the same time the fact that I do care about Sunderland AFC and how they succeed I will raise my concern if someone that's coming in I'm massively massively against based on the evidence that I have to hand and that's not me being negative that's just me caring about the football club um, I think it would be more negative of me to say nothing and just be like ah whatever doesn't matter because that would show an indication that I'm not bothered about the direction of the football club that I care so deeply about and that's kind of as far as it goes um, Ross I'll ask you the same question because I know sometimes you you feel a bit differently about things, but I honestly feel like no one's a fan of Bill here. So, you know, maybe prove me wrong or do you feel similar to me and, and Brad? Um, I think as a coach, he's highly regarded, same as Dodds. So I don't know if it's a case of the feel like they haven't got the main targets. That's, that's, that's blatantly obvious. The, the main targets I went for, they wanted a foreign multilingual coach to come in and let's be honest they thought they were going to get well still that's what they thought they were going to get and they thought Rens were going to be easy and then I think they thought oh well if not we're going to get Helberg and he's went actually I want to stay in Sweden and it's got the point where they went alright this succession plan hasn't actually worked because every player manager we had from the data for one reason either we don't have the money to pay the compensation or they don't want to come here so, who do we go for next? And let's be honest, Speakman is a data geek. He was totally, like, supposedly in love with Lee Johnson's bullshit talk. If it's down to just an interview, Beals probably just talked his way into the job, let's be honest. Um, I thought Phil Smith from the Sunday Network did a very good piece this morning where he did actually go in a bit in depth to say things why he could have got the job. The main one that he mentioned was, of course, he's free. Every manager brought in so far under this regime has been unattached. He also mentioned, though, that obviously standards are training at the Academy of Light, which was said to me by two people who were Mowbray, that the training standards and pretty much preparation had dipped. Um, So that can be taken into consideration. He was highly rated at Liverpool, and when he was at Aston Villa coaching there, that he set the standards massively for training. And also, he can't speak another language, I believe, Portuguese. So at least to me, I might actually understand him. Um, yeah, I feel like it's it, we're just at a stage now where he did he did okay at QPR. It all went tits up, though, from the moment he was linked with Wolves. I think that's worth caveating 
So when he was linked with Wolves, that's when the results started to change. Um, up until then, with a very poor squad of QPR, he did actually do okay, I think. The Rangers' job, if I'm playing devil's advocate, no one was beating that Ange Postacoglu Celtic team in that level. But also, there's obviously, what he did with transfers was really bad. But here, he won't be involved in transfers. He's purely going to be a head coach. So I'm trying to look at positives. That's that's what I can take from it. Um, it's disappointing. I wanted a young manager which would fit the mould with the whole club. And instead, okay, I hope I'm I hope I'm like everyone else. I'll back I'll back up behind him. I hope we can change our way for him. I hope we can change the system a bit like Dodds did at home. Um, but I do feel a bit underwhelmed with the whole process, the whole end game. And it's also very confusing. If he's signed the deal, just why is he still not announced now as we're recording on a Saturday? Like, if you're that ashamed of it, like, and you know it's going to be a backlash, why do it? I just, just put your, if you're that confident in him, put your chest out, say he's our man, and then be judged on his results. Back no, yourselves. I, I'd rather. I don't think we can. I'd rather just drop the bollocks and go. Actually, we're doing it. The backlash. Let's not do it. Let's let's keep looking for another week. Um, don't stick your chest out if you're listening, Christian and Carol. <laughs> don't stick your chest out. Ross is wrong. I run this podcast, week, so ignore Ross. It's done, though, isn't it? Let's be honest, it's done. I think so, mate. Um, everyone's reporting it now. It's done. Maybe, maybe by the time this is listened to, maybe. But Lee, I'll, I'll get your opinion. I think I, I honestly think I'm going to go around and everyone's going to say similar things. But like, it's only fair to get everyone to get their point across. Like me and you spoke about on Thursday, like. Yeah, about the rumours that were going round, and we, I was, I don't, I don't particularly want him. I tell great and go being a head coach, but if he's, a, if he's an arsehole offered, he cannot be like that, especially with a young squad. If he's ostracising players because they don't, because the face doesn't fit, what happens if he goes and does that to a Patrick Roberts or a Jack Clark or a Dan Neil or a Pierre Gua? They'll ruin these kids. Like my stepson's a Rangers supporter. And when I told him that Michael Bale was that um, rumoured to get the job, he laughed at us. He's like, he's rubbish, he's rubbish. But as you said, just to play devil's advocate on the positive side, if there is any, he's meant to be the whole secret behind Steven Gerrard's range of success. Like, been his first team coach, but then he took Aston Villa and he had success there when he was there. Then when he left, Gerrard's reign at Aston Villa went shit. And the same with QBR after he left. But then again, you're clutching the straws. I, I like in this, and I don't like comparing us to them up the road. But it reminds me massively of when Newcastle sacked Chris Hewton and replaced him with Alan Pardew. It's like, if I know hindsight's a wonderful thing, and I was one of saying that we needed to change in the manager. But if the answer to, or oh, you're replacing Tony Mowbray with uh, Michael Bale, I'd rather just stuck with Tony Mowbray at the end of the season then look mm-hmm. and possibly get a Will Still. If you know Will Still's got his contract, he's got a break clause at the end of the season. Stick with Mowbray till the end of the season, then go and get Will Still when it's less complicated to go and get him. A hundred percent agree. I think I like the comparison you've made there, like I know what you mean. I don't like doing it either, but like it it is that. And we laughed at that. We laughed at that when they did it, it's we like, thought he was popular up there, Hewton. He obviously got them promoted on the one like the top end of the Premier League, like, top off. Then the Saturn and bring Pardew in. It's like literally bringing his mate in. Like, one poor pass me one bit of Michael Bale's gone in there, bullshit. He's way into the job. 
than him and Speakman in the off time sit there and compare the LinkedIn LinkedIn accounts for how great they are. And looking at Christian Speakman's done a lot of good things for the football club regarding his recruitment and all this, but it seems like like five steps back to compare where we were beginning of the season. It's it's yeah. I mean, to see needs to hit the ground running is an absolute uh, understatement. I think Dave, you're you're the last one to give your thoughts and whatnot on this one. Uh, I get the feeling you might say quite similar, but like I said, everyone deserves their piece on this one. Michael Beale, new son, the manager. Uh, yes, no, why? Yes, <clears throat> Lee's absolutely nailed it on the head. Like I said it yesterday in the WhatsApp group, and uh, he's literally, literally said it word for word. And Brad was saying, "There's in the chat, just don't see it, Dave. Just don't see it. Do not see it." And I'm like, "It's Charnley." It's Ashley, it's Pardew. And people ain't going to like us for this and people's going to call us worse than shite and that's absolutely fine. But if Speakman sounded him out, he's a tosser. The fact that Bale has managed to worm his way in, and that's a word that I would use, worm his way in, then he's a tosser. And the fact that KLD signed off on it, he probably is the biggest tosser of the lot. So yeah, that's probably my feelings on it. Um, the only way I feel as though my week can get worse is if they give him a fucking eight-year deal tomorrow. That, that's, you know, part you've got it. That's the only way I feel as though my week can get worse. And exactly the same as Ross, I will back them. I will watch them every week from my hotel in Azerbaijan because that's normally where I watch it from. Um, and stuff like that. Like, I'll back them. But I tell you what, he comes in, if we thought we had any way, shape or form of keeping the likes of Clark in January, I seriously, seriously, seriously worry that we will. Whether that's through a loss of form, whether that's through the fact that Bale goes head to head with him and, and locks horns, whatever it is, and I hate to sound pessimistic and people's going to hate us for it, but it just doesn't enthuse me in any way, shape, or form. And I was the same when Parkinson came in. And I still absolutely hate the guy. Me and you, Graham, had a bit of a a bit of a, a gripe when Mowbray came in. And after we calmed down and after we became less emotive, we understood that they were steady in the ship after that Alex Neil thing. But it still wasn't a long term appointment. And if I'm honest, if I look back on it. If Mowbray hadn't finished sixth last season, would he have still had a job at the end of the season? I didn't think he would have. I don't think he would have. I don't buy into this. As a few people mentioned, oh, well, we went out with Mowbray, went out with Neil, like to different people and stuff like that. I don't think you can compare what people's thoughts on the Mowbray um, appointment was with the appointment to, to Beale. It's very, very different. And there's a podcast from our perspective that will back that up where I thought, felt Mowbray was a very boring appointment. Delighted I was proved wrong on that. I never once had the feeling that this was going to be an absolute unadulterated disaster that began to make me question decisions that the club were making. Um, so I think it's vastly different. I think it's a really easy thing to say, oh, well, he didn't really agree with the Mowbray appointment and that was fine. Didn't agree with the Alex Neal appointment and that was fine. 
they're all completely separate situations. And thankfully, we have recorded podcasts to back that up from our perspective. But anyone else who's saying it to other people who don't have podcasts, I think exactly the same way. Um, but I'm going to have to move on a little bit because there's still stuff to go through. But I'll, I'll go come back to you, Ross, with this one. Um, I wrote this question down because I think it's quite relevant. We've sort of touched on it a bit, but how alarming is it that we've harped on about this model and succession planning? And every time we've come up with an out-of-work British coach, and I just want to kind of point this down a bit just to jog everyone's memory if they forgot. We went in for two weeks before yet was close. And like I don't mind saying I'm aware of that. I think everybody else was as well. And then it fell through in the last minute and we got Lee Johnson. So he's not the first choice. He was an outwork British coach. He got the job. Lee Johnson is sacked. We spent three weeks flirting with Roy Keane and other managers before out of nowhere. Alex Neal was always the choice and had been for two weeks yet. Yeah, it took them two and a half weeks, three weeks to appoint him. It worked out because Alex Neal did a good job at Sunderland. Alex Neal then decides to walk out and does what he does, which we've done a million and one podcasts about. And they kind of thrown a bit of a spanner in the works by losing a manager for the first time. And Tony Mowbray comes in and sort of makes sense, I suppose. And it works out very well. Now they've gone back to sacking them again. Now this is the third time a manager's been sacked at Sunderland. Or third time a manager's departed the club. Johnson, Alex Neal, Mowbray. And every single time the appointment has been absolutely nothing to do with the model the succession planning, or anything. It's been an outwork British manager. Some of them have worked. Some of them haven't. We pray to God this one works. But is it not a bit of a concern, Ross, that like all this talk about the model and believing in the process, and it's hard to kind of see one with what they're doing? Yeah, I totally agree with you there. I feel like we do show our model a lot in recruitment. We've shown our model a lot in the investment in the academy and the progression of youth players through. But when it comes to getting the management, if they went and got a young bilingual foreign manager who had a philosophy of playing, and they were willing to invest in them, then you could go, look, that's why they got rid of Mowbray. You know what I mean? This is the next level. This is what it's all about. It's Even if we don't get promoted, this is what the model's all about, getting young, fresh talent in and being brave and bring, you know, having a go. But once again, I feel like is it's so weird for me because everyone's like, ah, oh, the penny pension, they don't want to spend a penny. Yet they'll go and spend a couple of million on a striker who's not ready, by all accounts, or isn't going to get a chance in the, in the team. So what difference is that to spending a million pound on bringing a manager in who, or a head coach, sorry, who's going to progress the team further and get more out of these players who you put investments in and then you if you want investment back you need someone who's gonna you know go full steam ahead with that and let's be honest like if someone said like you say everyone mentioned when Mowbray was sacked Michael Bale would have been like the last one of the last people people would have thought about the whole thing every, the whole line was said all the media they want a young foreign manager young foreign coach with bilingual fresh ideas and again, for one reason or another, payments, compensation, I don't know, do managers want the job? Do they want to work under this structure as well? You, it's, a, it's a very niche rule where, obviously, you've got no say in the players coming in. 
every manager who has departed has always said that they don't they don't sign the players. Is that why it it, it could be a multitude of things? But at the end of the day, I think to answer your question in a short way, to say that they've based disappointment off data, it's bullshit. They've based disappointment off not getting the targets and then falling back on who's out of work and who can who's got a bit of championship experience who can they can still say, well, he's still a young coach to, to try and fit it in. And to be honest, I'm actually looking forward to seeing how they word it because it'll say a lot about them and how they're trying to hoodwink the fans, I think. Can I can I just add something on the end of that? Like No. Thanks. <laughs> in terms of not paying out the money for it, like they have to realise the magnitude of what they're doing. That like if if he gets appointed tomorrow, and Brad already said it, we go three games without winning. He is in a world of trouble. From like we're not talking four thousand fans, we're talking forty thousand fans who will let him know that it's going tits up. And if that happens, I don't see how much they can back him if a attendance suddenly drops from forty thousand down to twenty thousand because it becomes a business. So if they end up sacking him after, like, dare I say it, Cluffy's 37 days in charge or whatever it was, if they end up sacking him, how much are they going to pay? Because there's no way, unless he's brave, and let's be honest, he's not brave, there's no way he's going to accept anything less than, like, an 18-month contract, and we're going to pay up 16 months of that. It's You might as well have just went out and paid for someone. It's it's mind boggling. Let's it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Brad, I'll put the same question at you. Um I know there's people gonna be listening going, please, I'll give them a chance. And I, look, I, I do get that kind of argument, and I think we all will, because just to hark back to what I said before, like we all care about Sunland and ultimately um I'd like egg on my face. As opposed to a giant mole. Um, Brad, what's is it a worry that we've we've done this again? Because you you like the Mowbray appointment, and I'll hold my hand up and say like I wasn't against it massively, but I kind of wanted someone a bit more exciting, and it, and it worked. But but Brad, is there a bit of concern now? Because I know you in general have liked the model and, and liked what Kirill and and Speakman have brought, but I think you know in private between me and you and chats, even you've kind of raised some concerns on this as well. I just don't. I've, I've said it. I just don't. They didn't get them in again. Like you, you touched on it perfectly. The last few appointments, they haven't got the main man that they were after. Look, the Alex Neil to Mowbray one's a bit of an, an anomaly because Alex Neil walked out and they had to act quick. But you could sort of see that that Mowbray was maybe even in the back of their minds if something does happen with Alex Neil because it was brewing for a couple of days on it and. That he's came in and done exactly what they needed because last year was all about consolidation. Um, but it just stinks. I, I, I look, I hope I'm proved wrong and we're all proved wrong massively. If he comes in and goes on a 10 game unbeaten one, fantastic, he's doing something right. But it just it, this does not scream out that this is the that this is the manager they want to take us to the next level again. It just sort of seems like. They 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 behaved on about this five year plan, and I think 
they, they look at Bale as maybe he's, he'll just steady us in this league again and let the players gain another year of experience. It just doesn't feel like... I mean, that statement that they put out when they sacked Mowbray, that was a big statement to say... I, I can't remember it word for word, but basically we're going for the course that's going to take us to the next step because we believe in this group of players. But Bale isn't that man. That man, if you if you if that was your plan, you stick with Tony Mowbray because he's got a wealth of experience with young players and in this league. If Mowbray did get us promoted, I, I, I don't think anyone would... It would be a strange one. If we, if he got us promoted, even Mowbray might look and say, look, I'm, I'm, I can't make the next step up at the age I'm at and let him go in the summer. I, I just can't get on board with how they've done this. It just, it, it's baffling. And I, I, again, I really want to be proved wrong, but I think this is only going to go one way. I feel like um, there's like a, a lot of, I, I feel like sometimes the fan base can be a bit 60-40, probably in favour, and there's a lot of evidence as to why. But I felt like, and I, we don't speak for everyone, we never ever will, and no podcast ever will, no fanzine ever will, no fan ever will speak for every Sunderland fan, but there is a big element across like the forums, Twitter, um, WhatsApp groups between friends, like conversations with your parents and your, your family that supports Sunderland, where this is starting to knock people's thoughts on previously, you know, literally four days ago, people would were quite excited about who this next appointment was going to be. I think in most cases, I would have probably been more angry when Mowbray was sacked because of where he was at. But I believed, I was starting to believe in this process. And I was like, young European manager, fair enough. And Mowbray's gone, like head held high and done this great job. But just, it, it just smacks of bullshit, to be honest with you. It doesn't strike me as something that they've remotely thought about, which was... If you listen back to the show where Mowbray was sacked, we all said, ah, they'll have someone lined up because we're we've convinced based on the evidence we have that they have a plan and a project. And surely, you know, Kirill doesn't come across as an idiot, to be honest with you. He comes across as an intelligent man, as does Kirill, if I'm honest with you. From my very limited knowledge of what I've seen them in public, they strike me as people who will want to be successful. Of course they will. I just don't understand this appointment. Let's just hope to God that you know, we're wrong. Um, but we've got about five minutes left, so we're going to have to move on to this and take a fiasco about them lot up the road. Lee, 6,000 tickets. We're moving fans away from that. I know there's caveats to how much the club have got, have got to do with it. But what are your thoughts on it? Because it feels like another just kick in the balls, doesn't it? The thing annoys, that annoys me about it is the fact you're moving your season card holders from the North Stand to a different seat and they don't get first choice of where they get moved to. It's like, I'm obviously, I imagine we're all season card holders in this. In this. By writers should be the people that moves, that gets the, obviously the first choice of where you get your seat. And I understand, like, if, like, if we get 15 percent, we've got no argument because we're not getting 45, 46,000 in every week. We're only getting 39 to 40. We have nothing to backtrack to say, look, we can only give them 3,000. It's not the allocation that bothers me. It's the fact you're moving your home support to accommodate your biggest rivals. Like, because I'd, I'd have, have a bet if we're getting anybody else in this FA Cup, in this FA Cup draw, they'd be up in the gods. They'd be up in the gods and there'd be no argument about it. But it's the fact it's them. And it makes it worse. It's because it's them. 
and I know I've got people behind the scenes and marketed and all this that are like they literally they got yellow just running through them the cowards and they just roll over get their bellies taken and go yes no bother <coughs> Steve Davidson but um, <laughs> I don't know I don't know it's just I, I say it's not the allocation fact you're moving you die hard home support and I agree with certain what certain people saying it's giving them an advantage because now they're going to have three, four thousand behind one of the goals, so the atmosphere is going to be literally split in half. I, I think. Just... Do you know one big thing for me as well, Lee? Right. Um, we've been told when we complained about getting pelted with um missiles off was a Coventry in Portsmouth, um, not pelted like those incidents with Coventry in Portsmouth and those complaints gone in, and everyone went just put a net up just putting that up or move the fans and they spent ages discussing whether they should move the fans and then went oh no what we're going to do just take everything off them in, the, in the, their pockets when they go up we can't move it it's just not possible so you're looking at what they've done there you could say well there's the reason behind it fair enough you know the reason behind it is maybe because they don't want people chucking stuff down if they're all in with themselves then they can't but then you look at Borough and Leeds, they couldn't get it. They couldn't get past security or get any, even though a thousand, an extra couple of thousand. You look at our own fan displays, you're not allowed to put a fan display out because the piece of card could be seen as a missile. However you look at it, no matter what excuses they've used and what they've said, the fact that there's going to be 7,000 and I believe a thousand either way to segregate has been passed by security who is who I'm going to be looking at here, but other things across the line have took a ages to discuss. B they can't fix it. C <laughs> like they've basically found things that are more of a, less of a security risk, less of a security risk. Sorry, being a security risk, but that amount of rival fans coming up in the ground and moving your own fans, it just doesn't sit right with me. I'll lay the blame of security. I understand people would be frustrated at the club. Um, and I can understand that, but I suppose I don't know how much the club's got to say in this, so I've got to kind of buy the buy with that. But I just don't... Yeah, for me, I don't know how a lot of things haven't got through security, but somehow this has no bother whatsoever. Um, Ross, what do you think they should have done differently? Because I'm assuming you, you maybe agree with us on that. I No, I do. I feel like... If it wasn't safe enough to have more than two and a half thousand fans in the upper tier, then they shouldn't be up there anyways. Let's be honest. It's there was always a possibility that this could happen. Away fans can get can get home ties in the cup and away fans can bring loads and it's just piss poor planning from the security team and the club. Because the club are involved with movement of fans. There was a full consultation on it, and they were like, oh, well, it's the safest part of the ground to go into. Well, it clearly isn't, because they proved otherwise now, saying to make it safe, they've had to go in the lower tier. So, aye, it's just bollocks. One positive for me is, though, they all have to get a bus back and get the fucking metro. Get in. So, I fuck them. Um, Brad, I'll, I'll leave the last question for you, mate, because we discussed this in the summer. This is not something we've randomly come up with. We discussed it in the season preview. Um, the manager situation, the situation with the tickets, 
the club shop. I don't know how much, I, I can't really go into it too much in detail, but I've had my own issues with security at the club, which you can see on Ready to Go from about, I think it was January, February time, if you want to look at it. Other people have had many, many issues with the club, be it merchandise, whatever. We've talked about off the field things not being right. The players, I love every one of them. I'll back the manager, whoever comes in, as disappointed as I am. But how many more problems, Brad, quickly in the last sort of minute and a half, do we have to go up against off the field before a lot of the fan base that are not as diehard as others begin to just go, I can't be arsed. And there is fans that, you know, will feel like that and you can't blame them. Depends how loyal they are, mate, because <clears throat> I'm almost saying like we're not loyal. And it's blind loyalty though, isn't it? Like, and it's like, that's the thing. They're taking the, they are literally taking the piss and pushing us as far as they can to see how what, what it'll take to crack. Quickly on the seat and thing, they said, and I quote, we can't move them because it's not safe and it's not viable to do so. And that was with months of planning and discussions. But within two weeks, they came up with a plan. How do we get them into the lower bowl? It, it's a disgrace. Commercially, I think the club's still stinking. Like, it, it's it's uh, it's embarrassing. You see people, uh, they were posting about getting your season cards in advance so you can secure your seat and the tickets go on sale this week. But they're not getting the confirmations till the 28th of December. So some of them haven't even got a customer ticket yet. A number. They need... They need to take a long, hard look at themselves because they're risking losing a generation of fans. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, so I've got time for this week because we've had loads of te- technical difficulties and because uh, I need to edit and then get myself to bed. But lads, thanks for joining. Appreciate it. Um, hopefully everyone listening enjoyed it. Subscribe if you want. Do what you like. Please, Jay. Bring on a nice, quiet week. Mm.